On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about a project that is about to start in Hamilton that comes with what certainly seems like a rather magnificently huge price tag for what we're talking about doing. Is the city paying too much? for what's going to happen. We'll explain and we'll talk about that one. We're also going to be talking about online medical services. Uh, Some people now, because of what's going on, can't get to the doctor's office necessarily, can't get to this or that, can't get to physiotherapy. How do you do physiotherapy if you can't get to the office? Well, you do it online. But how do you do physio online? We will explain. And we will ask the question, should Olympic athletes who have qualified to go to Tokyo, which has now been put off a year, have to re-qualify to go in 2021 so that we have our best athletes when those games start? Or should people who have qualified get a pass now and they're good to go when that happens? We'll discuss all of that coming up now. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There was a story this week in the spec on thespec.com that kind of slid under the radar, mostly because... Anything that is not coronavirus related right now is kind of sliding under the radar. That's very understandable. Story is that the Lazy River ride, it's not really a ride, the Lazy River at Wild Waterworks in Stony Creek needs a new paint job, which makes sense. This is a 30-year-old, roughly give or take attraction. But where my eyebrows shot up was when I saw the price that was listed, $530,000 to paint this cement base, this tube. And, and I'm not a painter. I called one today, though. Um, and I asked, what would a top-of-the-line paint job? I said, let's say a 3,000-square-foot house. Beautiful. And we want it top to bottom, ceilings, walls, everything. We want it painted meticulously, all the edging, everything else. He said probably it might, might come to 15,000, but probably more like 10. So how can a cement tube come to half a million dollars to paint it? Well... Lloyd Ferguson is the chair of the Hamilton Conservation Authority that oversees Wild Waterworks. He's also Ward 12 Councillor. And by the way, before we get to this, he's also a man who is locked in quarantine right now because he was out of the country. And uh, Lloyd, are you having fun yet with all this time on your hands? Well, yeah. yeah. By the way, your volume went way down. I can barely hear you, Scott, okay. since, uh, since you clicked me on. But um, All right. I think that, we fixed that. There, there we go. that's better. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I, as you can expect, I spend a good chunk of my day on the phone and doing emails and, and corresponding with an emergency operations center and with other counselors and mostly with constituents. So I'm able to fill the day, but I've had the chance to clean out two closets that I've been ignoring <laughs> for three years. And there you go. I'm going through the kitchen sorting things out. This is the last week I could use my extra garbage bags for uh, for this for last year. We did the same. Yeah, the garbage men loved us, I'm sure. <laughs> I felt I went out and helped them throw in the truck. I felt bad for them, but uh, I had all the tags on them. But yeah, I'm self-quarantined now. I, I, I returned from the U.S. a week ago, and so I'm halfway through. Um, I've got no symptoms, and um, well, that's good news. That's good news for anybody who is symptom-free. Uh, Lloyd, let's get to this story because when I saw this thing, uh, my reaction—and I, listen—I I bet a lot of people's reaction: five hundred and thirty thousand dollars to paint a cement half a tube that holds water seems exorbitantly high. Does it not? Yes, it does. And yes, it does. And but I'll explain to you why. First of all, let me start by saying that um, public health ordered us to uh, repaint this. Uh, the color was a beige color, and uh, public health through uh, provincial standards has determined they should be white in color so lifeguards can see better in, in what's happening in them. Plus, as you said in your opening comments, the, um, 
the facility is 30 years old and it needs to be refreshed and it's a very popular facility so um the staff went out our construction staff went out and and retained a consultant to help them put the specifications together and the number they come back with was $15 a square foot in order to, uh, now there's more than just painting. You've got to prepare the surface, clean the old stuff off. All the drainage plates have to be replaced and everything has to be recocked. So it, it, there's a little more extensive, plus it has to be paint that's resistant to chlorine. But uh, so public health ordered this. Uh, we have not started anything yet. But uh, when you plug in $15 a square foot and there's a total of 34,000 square feet, it comes to about $530,000. And I want your listeners to know that's a budget. And the city has been experiencing in the last number of months a significant um, increase in construction costs. You know, we went through the steel um, tariffs, which added 30% to steel, and, and that's been adjusted. But concrete prices have gone up, uh, labor costs have gone up. You know, I'll give you an example with the Ancaster Art Center, which is something that I'm very close to. When we first, and mind you, it was back in 2012, but we put the estimate together at $12,000. And it was refreshed when we decided to go to detailed drawings to 14. Then it went to 18, and we finally got the uh, the tenders in and went to $24 million. And, and so um, we've, we've experienced this. So our staff put together this estimate using the advice of consultants who specialize in this, at $15 a square foot. So it's going to be done in two phases. The um, little squirt works, as it's called, it's like a spray pad, will be done this fall, and next spring will be the Lazy River. But I'm pleased to report that we just closed the bid this uh, this week for the little squirt works, and using the $15 a square foot, the price was 90, our estimate was $90,000, and it committed $50,000. And, and so uh, any money that's not spent gets re- put, re- put back to a reserve. We set aside every year a percentage of our revenues, as most corporations do, a capital maintenance account. And, and so it's been adding up over the years. So this isn't something we have to tax for but the price up to pay for. It's already in the bank. And we're, we uh, got the council resolution to spend that reserve fund. And anything that we don't spend will, in fact, be returned to that reserve fund. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Like just before the break, I was saying, like, I find it very difficult to believe that if I had this to do and I was a private citizen and went to hire a company, that the amount that would come back and that I would have to pay would be half a million dollars. There's, there just seems to be no way that would be re- realistic. Well, I'm going to repeat again that the bids actually come in almost half of what the $15 a square foot that uh, our consultant told us to plug in. Okay. And, and, and uh, you know, that money will get returned back to the reserve fund. You know, we would be criticized heavily uh, if, if we didn't have enough money budgeted and uh, something happened and we went over budget. So there, there's two things that happen in public procurement that may or may not happen in a private uh, environment. We put contingencies on our bids, generally 10%, in, in case something happens. We don't spend it until it's been determined by the consulting engineer and our own engineering staff that, yeah, this is scope creep. It's something extra that we found that we weren't expecting and had to do it. Most of the time, the contingency is not spent, but we have to set that aside. Second of all, we need... Um, performance security. We need performance bonds. A lot of private sector people won't, will take that risk that the contractor they hire will in fact perform, won't walk off the job, 
and and leave a lot of suppliers and subcontractors unpaid. But why do we need to hire a private company? I mean, we have a lot of municipal employees, and right right now, look, everyone's hurting a little bit. Is it unrealistic to say we would expect our city employees to maybe do a little more, and they could paint this thing? Maybe, but you know, you you keep all these employees on staff for when these things come along every thirty years, and and so we go to the private sector who specialize in painting. But I heard you say in your closing comments before we went to break that do we pay more in the public sector? I spent 32 years submitting bids to the private and public sector. The company I ran uh, had annual sales of about 450 million dollars a year, so we're putting out, I remember, 12 to 20 bids per year, uh, a week. Generally, about 15 a week is that we're putting out. I could tell you when we close those bids, we would generally be more aggressive on the public sector for uh, two reasons. Number one is, uh, if you get the work, you know you're going to get paid in 30 days. You don't have bad debts with the public sector. There's no credit risk, if you will. And and second of all, uh, you you know, providing you meet the spec, and and that's an important thing. You're not going to get paid unless you meet the spec. You will get paid. And and, but we do require in the public sector because the public is not prepared. Uh, if something happens with a contractor and he goes broke and leaves a mess, which costs a million dollars, we buy a stadium, insurance. for example. Well, stadium, yeah. We've we've had uh, some defaults on contractors that go bankrupt. So uh, we turn to the contractor and say, uh, we we dump that risk off onto their insurance companies who provide performance bonds and bid bonds. You know, someone uh, you cannot bid to the public sector unless you have a bid bond, which means, yeah, you if if we award the contract to you, you have to take it. Otherwise, we have the right to cash that bid bond. That rarely happens, but defaults in the performance, and we have a duty to make sure that suppliers and and uh, and and labor that's working on city projects do get paid. But I, but Lloyd, I still sorry to interrupt, but I still don't understand. And this is maybe where I'm getting caught up here. I don't. This painting a, a lazy river is not a, a job that requires some, some degree of expertise. I can paint, not necessarily all that well, but I can paint. Everybody can paint. I don't understand. If we're building a bridge, yes, you would want experts who would do this. But why could city staff not paint this and save us half a million because we're paying for their salaries already? Well, we we don't have staff sitting around to do this stuff, but to make that statement, it's like saying uh, the cost per square meter to pave my driveway should be the cost, same cost to build the Queen Elizabeth Way. They're different specs. They're different exposures. You know, you've got tens of thousands of people that use these facilities. They bring in toys that bang up against it. And as I said, the scope is more than just painting. It's replacing all those drains that, that connect into and all the piping underneath and all the caulking around the perimeter. And, and, uh, and so you bring in the, the contractors who are experts in this area. You don't try to put someone who is running a backhoe in the, in the morning and painting in the afternoon. You just don't get the same job. And, and of course, uh, the private sector contractors have to warranty it, uh, for two, generally for two years. If there's defects, they come back and repair it at their expense. But quite frankly, it's just not exp- uh, fair to pre- uh, compare the painting of a house to painting of something like this. 
Well, uh, okay. Um, I mean, I would have thought that the painting of a house honestly would have required more skill because of all the edge work and all the other things as opposed to walking along a cement tube with a paint sprayer. And uh, and I get what you're saying about the caulking and about the, the sewers, but uh, honestly, like I find it hard to believe that student painters couldn't be hired who are out of work wanting to pay their university bills to do the actual painting part. And you're using far more expensive paint because it has to be resistant to chlorine, which is a very aggressive chemical. But I'm hoping you have me back on the show next spring because we haven't started it. We're probably going to award the contract um, shortly for the lazy or for the uh, spray pad. So it'll be done this fall, and the Lacey River will be done next spring. So a year from now... It's a deal. I will have you back on, and we'll talk about how much it's going to cost. I, I will do that for sure. Lloyd Ferguson, I appreciate you coming on. I hope you enjoy your uh, your your enforced solitude, whether you like it or not. But okay. I, I appreciate the time. Thanks for doing Thanks this. Thanks for having me on. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of an odd uh, conundrum that just because we're locked in our homes and not supposed to go out anywhere doesn't mean that all of our things that we need to do go away. We still have to grocery shop. We still have to do a few other things, get to work. Some people uh, go to the doctor. There's a lot of people who still need, not just because they're worried they have coronavirus, they need to go to their doctor or their occupational therapist or psychiatrist or whatever, whatever it is that you need to do. Uh, and that has become very difficult because, again, you're not really supposed to go out of your house. And if you do go out, is the clinic open? Is the whatever open? Can someone be there? Nobody wants to be exposed to anybody else. It's, it's created a real complication in this field. So what do you do if you cannot get there? Well, um, technology is taking over an area or helping take over an area that I don't think anybody had anticipated that technology would be taking over, at least not this soon maybe in the year 3000, but not yet, not 2020, but things have been accelerated. Kristen Parise is the owner-operator and physiotherapist at Blueberry Therapy in Dundas. And as I learned earlier today, one of the winners of the Women of Distinction Award for this year that they gave out like four minutes before the entire country had to go into lockdown. So she was just able to get the award and then go home, right, Kristen? (laughs) Yes, that's right, Scott. It was amazing... Uh, and large celebration and would not have happened if it was the, the following week. No, I say just in the, just in the nick of time. And I hope, but I still hope you wash down your award with Lysol wipes or something. Just, you know, <laughs> you got to be sure. <laughs> I haven't yet, actually, <laughs> but, but I will do that right now, Scott. Uh, so you are a physiotherapist. I'm a little bit confused by this because I have seen conflicting views on whether or not physiotherapy right now is considered an essential service or not. So we, uh, it's a good question. I mean, we closed down our in-person um, in-person visits as of Monday, March 16th, at, at the advice of Public Health and the Canadian Physio Association. However, we moved everything to virtual. Um, and in that way, we can continue to still support our clients um, and we can be face-to-face and we can see them do exercises um, and still continue to progress um, their journey back to wellness, their rehabilitation goals, all of those kind of things. It's an important thing. And I mean, obviously, I mentioned some other things. Physiotherapy is unique, though, and a lot of people listening have probably done it and are now sitting listening as I was when I was pondering this for a bit. Physiotherapy generally, first of all, it's exercise to recover from something Uh, But it usually almost always requires a physiotherapist, that's why we have you people, to guide or to offer hands-on or to make sure you don't actually make things worse by re-injuring yourself. 
Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. So at Blueberry Therapy, not only do we have the physiotherapy component, but we have psychotherapists, dietitians, speech-language pathologists. So all of those type of rehabilitation services, we set up a plan with the client, and the plan means that we follow up, that we make sure we're moving towards the plan, and if things start to kind of fall off uh, the track that we can get things back on track. And so if we set up this beautiful plan, but we don't check back in, then yeah, things can go either wrong for the client or just totally plateau. So that's why we really decided right away to flip into the virtual side of it so that we could still support our clients uh, in that way. And so a lot of your stuff is now being done over the computer, over a tablet, whatever. But I go back to my point, a dietitian, okay, that makes that makes sense. You can yeah. easily talk to a dietitian online and they give you advice or your psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. But a physiotherapist, if you're doing exercises because you've had a stroke or you've had a knee injury or whatever, whatever it is, there is a risk. You can run a risk of slipping and falling or doing something wrong and making it worse if the person's not there to guide you. So how do you do physiotherapy online? Great question. A couple of things, and and one of the things we know about providing services virtually, which physiotherapists have been doing for many, many years to remote and rural communities, and there's actually really good evidence that it works for things like stroke. It works for things like total knee replacement for kids that have physical disabilities. But you're right, we have to do our due diligence and make sure that, one, the client that we're working with is doing things in a way that is safe. So, you know, checking in to see that they have shoes on, that they're not going to slip on their floor. Or if we're asking them to do something that we think they might lose their balance, is somebody there to support them? Are they holding a wall? So those things we're pretty accustomed to doing even within the clinic, just thinking about safety. Now, our clinic does fairly specialized physiotherapy. We, we spend a lot of time on pelvic health and pediatric health. So many of our clients, we've, we see very few stroke clients. Um, we deal with things, Scott, that usually have to do with peeing, pooping, pain, or sex, typically. Well, that covers some territory that people weren't expecting to hear. <laughs> no, and and... The reason I mention that, too, is what we are doing in many of our sessions is doing a ton of education to people about um, the pelvic floor muscle, how that pelvic floor muscle works, and if they're having overactive bladder uh, issues, if they're having issues with stress urinary incontinence um, or pain with sex, then we, we talk to them about strategies that they can use both from a exercise standpoint and how do you make that muscle work better, but also from a cognitive and a behavioral standpoint. So in one way, the pelvic health physiotherapy lends itself very well to virtual visits because we do a ton of education with our clients. Uh, this, this may be an awkward question, I suppose, because all of a sudden people's ears have perked up with your definition or your description of what you treat. I guarantee you a lot of people went, huh? Um, uh-huh. But with the stuff you do, it's the, when I talk about physiotherapy, a lot of physiotherapy would be, you know, if you're working on your knee or something, you know, stepping up onto a box or doing, are you actually walking through live physiotherapy with people while they're doing it or are you explaining what to do because of the specialized things that you're treating? We're doing both and and to be honest if I was either a pelvic health physiotherapist or a straight sports physiotherapist they're both combine lots of education um, but 
in the pelvic health world, we are teaching um, people and talking to people about strategies they can use. And then um, in these virtual sessions, I'm getting them to lie down on their back. I'm lying down with my computer beside me so that they can see the position. I'm showing them how to do like a bridge or how to do a proper Kegel exercise or do a squat. So, yeah, we're, we're doing it all. It's, it's quite amazing, and it's been a really fun journey over the last week. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Kristen Parise, who's the owner and operator, it is a physiotherapy place in Dundas, a clinic in Dundas, and we're talking about what do you do now that everyone's supposed to be locked at home, clinics are closed, but you still need your physio. We're going to get back to the broader idea of physio in just a minute, but I want to stick with this because just before, a couple minutes before the break, if you're just joining us, Kristen pointed out their clinic specializes in some unique things that may have caught some people off guard. What was your list again? Uh, Yes, day to day we deal with people that have issues with peeing, pooping, pain, and sex. There you go. All right, that should be a big sign in front of the door and everyone would wander in. This, um, but when we're talking about doing something online then, Kristen, there's another part of this and that is uh, some of what I assume you're doing is rather personal with people. I mean, you're talking about stuff that they don't go out and announce to their friends. If you have a blown out knee, nobody minds going out and saying, I got to go to the physio to work on my knee. I'm not sure everyone's announcing to their friends they're going to you for those things. Is there any discomfort with people, because some people still aren't confident necessarily that everything is safe on the internet or that someone can't see something with their camera. Is there any discomfort with people wanting to do this and not have it in a lock in a room with a closed door with you? Um, so some of my clients that I've seen have been locked in their bedroom. <laughs> when, <laughs> I don't as, doubt that. As we uh, do the virtual visit. I mean, we're very conscious that we're making sure that we have the best and most private technology. So we have a healthcare package um, through Zoom, and that's um, the same platform. So with Zoom, you can choose multiple different packages. This one has more privacy, more confidentiality, and complies with PHIPAA and PIPEDA, which are the privacy that healthcare um, needs to fall under, whether it's virtual or in person. Because, I mean, look, it's not just you. There are other uh, medical doctors, helpers, whatever you want to say, who are dealing with areas that are personal to people and they would not want to be thinking that maybe some of what they're talking about or showing online over the streaming thing would get picked up somewhere. Absolutely. So we do all of our due diligence and certainly that's one of the things that we have our clients consent to is to uh, connect with us through this virtual platform and they'd certainly have the choice to use a video platform or telephonic. And and in some ways, we could do lots of the uh, education and counseling, and our counselors, our psychotherapists use telephonic lots of times. Um, sometimes for physiotherapists, the movement is crucial. And so beyond the pelvic health clients, we have some clients and some amazing loyal clients that are coming to us for shoulders, for neck. And these are the clients that, you know, you can play an April Fool's joke on. The clients that you see every day at the gym, they come and they're helping to support us. And, and I think, I mean, that's one of the things that I would say is we are not the only small business which you will know well, that is being hit. Mm. So many of the businesses out there are um, really feeling the impact of this, and we thank those clients that continue to stick with us. 
The, you know, we've heard a lot in the last, boy, it seems like a lot longer, but it's probably a week. It, a week seems like a month these days. But we've heard a lot in the last little while about how everything that people are now doing at home, this could be changing how a lot of people end up discovering they do their work. We could see a lot more people working out of home in the future because they now know they can do it. Could you see this becoming much more common that you have way fewer people in your site, in your place, and more people doing it online? A hundred percent. And, you know, I had always thought, actually, about doing this because many of our clients are pre- and postnatal. When you're, when you're a new mom or have a couple of little kids at home, actually physically getting out of the house to see your healthcare practitioner is difficult. To get those kids in the car and to time it around naps is hard. So one of the things, actually, I'm so excited that we will be um, starting to use is um, uh, that we're, we're doing now. So we're seeing lots of postnatal moms virtually now. But ideally, what we would love is to see them once in person and then four virtual visits followed up. And we actually can use a biofeedback device that helps us to understand how their muscles are contracting and releasing. So not only can we connect with them, but we have an objective measure of how that's happening at home. And then we follow up with them at the end. And and so in that way, yeah, I think the virtual could um, open the door for lots of people who just can't get in here. So there's technology that would allow you to to know exactly what it is that they're doing. So you're not just hearing them say they're doing it or watching them do it. Exactly. So so Scott, picture a grip strength measure for your hand. So you 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 squeeze the grip strength and you see the dial go up. All right. Well, there is one for your pelvic floor too. Well, hopefully not my pelvic floor, but someone's. I get your point. Absolutely your pelvic floor. So we see men and women, Scott. So if you ever need us, come on down. It is, uh, it, look, it, it is a, as I say, it was unexpected where this went, but it is a fascinating <laughs> yeah. idea that now, the, uh, just another thing that I never would have imagined, I'm just talking about physiotherapy in general, let alone this, a, a fascinating thing that we would, I would have never expected that physiotherapy could be an off-site virtual thing as opposed to a hands-on idea, because it's always been a hands-on thing. Uh, fascinating that this is maybe where we're heading in the future. Um, listen, it, I appreciate you taking the time, because it really is interesting. Kristen Perry is a, it is Blueberry Therapy. You can find it at blueberrytherapy.ca if you're not driving through Dundas, but then that's probably closed now anyway right now. So uh, blueberrytherapy.ca. Kristen, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for doing Thanks this. Thanks so much, Scott. It was uh, my pleasure. That is, uh, I d- you know what? I'm sure a lot of people didn't see that one coming, but it's a fascinating thing. Look, we all have areas that need to be worked on that need to be fixed. It's not always what you go around and tell all your friends that you're doing, but we, you know, everybody's got something. And if we can do this all virtually now, I mean, the good news is you can do it virtually now. The, I suppose there's an argument we made for you. We do still need human contact at some point, but boy, this opens a lot of doors, doesn't it? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There is a very unique, and I'm not sure what I think of it. We're going to talk about this one. A unique idea for the coming baseball season, assuming there is a baseball season that still remains in question. But assuming that we do have a baseball season, the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays has come up with an interesting topic. Let me bring in our buddy Bubba O'Neill from CHC. It's been a while. Bubba, how are you? Ah, not bad. I mean, is considering the situation that uh, many of us find ourselves in, it's uh, some uh, 
think it's fair to say, interesting times, is it not? Well, I, you know, the other day we were going to have you on and things go, go a little haywire, but I love that you were showing Major League Fishing for highlights. Uh, <laughs> it speaks some volumes about what's going on in the world of sports these days. Well, as it stands right now, I know we do have the WWE and, of course, um, UFC. Uh, they are still, you know, in action. But uh, that is one of the only leagues uh, left of those three leagues. are the only leagues in Major League Fishing they actually have a big event. Hey, they just shut down, though. They just said they're not doing it this weekend. It got shut down? Yeah, Major League Fishing is now, even the fish are safe. Even the fish what? can't be near other fish, I, I guess. I, I did not know that. I mean, that was a big event that was to go on, I believe, in North Carolina this yeah. weekend. But, you know, schools are closed, so you can't... Well, how can you fish if the schools get it? The schools are... Forget it. Uh, anyway. Well, that, was one of the, well, that was one of the things that they were talking about, is that they were, you know, I mean, because of the proximity, you know, there's one cameraman on a boat that, you know, that physical distancing was uh, at a premium in this sport. Yeah, but even the schools of fish are closed. See? 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 Um, hey, uh, Ross Atkins, who is the general manager of the the Toronto Blue Jays today yep. came out with this suggestion that has received an awful lot of traction. Now, we are assuming there's going to be a baseball season and that it's going to start at some point. And his idea is we should, rather than having nine inning games, we should have lots of seven inning double headers through the year to be able to get 162 games in, in the schedule. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, I appreciate the thought. I don't think there's a realistic chance that it will actually happen. Um, you know, I think we're in a situation right now where in all sports, and I'm, look, I'm speaking here of soccer, I'm speaking of the hockey season, the basketball season, and of course the ongoing baseball season with, you know, the Blue Jays' home opener was is was supposed to be scheduled for tomorrow, right? So... I think when these t- sports return, we're all looking at all options. Anything is available. All suggestions should be thrown out there on how to, um, you know, set up what's probably going to be a shorter season in all sports. Um, so, I, I, as much as I appreciate the thought, I just don't see it as realistic. Because I believe now you're making it uh, the seven innings, and you can correct me. You know, Minor league baseball, uh, I mean, a little league baseball length, um, I believe, is set of seven innings, is it not? Well, yeah, and he, here's little league is six, and then kids, like youth baseball is seven. Here's what I don't get the urgency to get 162 games in, if that's the idea here. We have to play 162 games because that's tradition and that's a baseball season and all the rest. What's the urgency to get 162 games in? Why do we need to hold on to tradition if we're willing to throw out the tradition of the nine-inning game? Either way, you're abandoning tradition. So we're we're in an unprecedented whole new world. Who cares if we don't? If you're going to not play full games, who cares if you don't play 162 games? Why? Why? If if no tradition matters, why does anyone matter? And and you're right on that, in my opinion. Um, but I also think that you know they they probably don't want to. You know, some day from now, um, say, you know, look at the record books and say, whoa, why, why was there only 120 games played? That, you know, obviously that was 120, I believe, was the length at one time. Uh, why was there 120 played that year? And I think we'll all know the reason why. But I think they're trying to, to, to be, you know, I, you know, again, if looking at a ma- imaginative, I guess that, 
at looking at a ways to preserve the 162-game schedule. I get, I'm presuming that's what he's thinking. But down the road, if we look at the stats and we've played seven inning games and all these double headers, will the stats not also be incredibly wonky? So one way or another, I mean, you're if you're going to shave off two innings every game minimum, uh, because you may not play the bottom of the other the inning if the home team is winning, so it might be six and a half inning games. How many fewer at bats are guys going to get? So you're going to say, well, the guy who leads in home runs may have 35 this year. And, like yeah. all the stats will be thrown off. So uh, I would rather just you know play nine inning games, play real baseball. And if you can only play 85 games, okay, you only play 85 games. So be it. You live with that. That's what you got. I, I, that's my thought. Um, but, again, I, I, I don't think this is, again, I, I, from what it sounds to me, I don't think this is a realistic thing. I think no. it's just something that they're just throwing out ideas. And, but it's getting, and tons of, it's getting tons of, 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 of tread, treadway here. It, like, there's lots of places picking up Ross Atkins. It's not just Toronto. It's all right. over North America that are quoting him going, hey, interesting idea. Yeah, and and I think they, I, that's it. I think it's an interesting idea. I just don't see it actually happening. I just I think at the end of the day, they're probably going to go the more conventional route, and that's just having a shorter season. Um, I, I and and is, so it should. I think that's ultimately the the better way. That like you're saying, it does not um, the integrity of the game, if I if I may say, is not affected this way. By no, playing a, imagine for a second it wasn't baseball. Imagine now, because the NHL is trying to, they're planning out how to come back and how to get a season or playoffs or whatever. Imagine if they said, you know what, we're going to be running late. We may not get started again until July, but we want to have a Stanley Cup playoffs. So for the Stanley Cup playoffs, all games are two periods long. We'd go, <laughs> like, come on, that's insane. But that's the, that's the equivalent. Yeah, I, again, I, I don't see it happening. And again, I, I will stick to my guns that I think they're just throwing, they're just throwing anything against the wall to see. And it may, and like you said, maybe, maybe they're throwing stuff out there just to see how the public, how the public reacts. And like you said, maybe it's getting some traction or not. But I think ultimately that is not. I don't see that in the cards. I just, I really don't. I think it just. Can you imagine if they do how many of these double headers that you're talking about? What about if you have a, a double header? Where I mean, they're, they've limited double headers in just the last ten, fifteen, twenty years. It used to be a regular occurrence in baseball, and now I don't even know how many double headers are, are even played anymore for each team, unless weather weather permitting. Um, First game I ever went to. Back in 1977, was a doubleheader at Exhibition Stadium with the Texas Rangers. I remember Toby Hara was playing for the Rangers at the time. And true story, my dad was very involved at the time with Big Brothers, and we he used to have a little brother who was you know in the Big Brother organization. And it was Big Brother Day, and my little brother couldn't come. The little or my dad's little brother, so I ended up along with him and about 25 other Big Brother little brothers singing the national anthem at the Blue Jays game. And do you remember Exhibition Stadium, Bubba, down the third baseline, the stands went a certain distance, and then before they hooked up with the, uh, the grandstand, there was an opening where they would keep trucks and buses and stuff? Absolutely. I totally remember that. Yep. We, that's where we practiced for that national anthem with all these big brothers and little brothers. And in the middle of rehearsal, as it were, because none of us could sing, we were awful. Anyway, <laughs> uh, a ball came flying over from batting practice, and my dad, who... He has so many talents. He's a brilliant man. He was, a, but not always that athletic. Dove under a transport truck, thankfully that was parked, and caught this or grabbed this ball 
that had been hitting batting practice. And because we were rehearsing and one of the Blue Jays PR people was there, was able to give that ball to the PR person. And at the end of the game, it came back to us signed by every one of the original Blue Jays. Wow. There you go. Which is now stuck in a drawer so it doesn't get light on it and ruin all the autographs because they're starting to fade. But uh, that's one of those things that gets passed down. So my, my son has his eye on that one already. Yeah, you got to get the... Uh, but yeah, it was a doubleheader. Uh, uh, way off track, but that... Yep. I, I yeah, went I way don't. off track, but that was a doubleheader. And that was the la- I've been to a lot of games. That was the last doubleheader I've ever been to. That was 1977. Yeah, well, with, a compre- with a compressed schedule. And like they're saying, can you imagine if two ga- if you get, you know, back-to-back games to go into extra innings with a compressed schedule? Baseball in itself is a tough enough sport in the sense that you play almost every single day. I believe... If I'm correct here, you got about 14 days off in the regular season uh, in total. So I, I just don't see that. I mean, even alone, that's in a regular game that you're looking at 14 innings being played. Now, it just it doesn't make sense to me. The only good thing that I could see about that is baseball, as we know in recent years, has been overmanaged to within an, within an inch of its life by the managers. And if you were playing all these double headers in a number of these games, you would have to use pitchers you didn't necessarily want to, or have to use pitchers longer than you wanted to, which would take some of the micromanaging out of it. But that's the only good thing I could think of. Uh, 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 uh. I, I would think, uh, in response to a, a possible double header situation, um, playing seven inning games, I would guess that there would be roster provisions and that, you know what, I think it's a 22, 23-man roster, something in that zone. 20, 25, yeah. Uh, 25. Uh, I, would, I would be willing to gamble that for that shortened season, they could be looking at a, a regular of a 40-man roster. Would be interesting. Uh, this Although that would make managers more able to micromanage, which would drive me nuts even more. But well, yeah, though, though remember there are new rules though with relievers; they have mm-hmm. to stay in there for a minimum of three batters now. So that you know the the the, the decisions would have to be much more crafty than anything else. You know who is really happy that there's no baseball right now? The Houston Astros. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> those, guys, sure. those guys are sitting there oh. going, how many bruises would we have already had by this point if we were playing? Absolutely. The, the, the Astros, and I'll tell you, another team that are probably happy too, are, are the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, because it's and coming. That- well, in that despicable trading away of Mookie Betts, like you trade with what, what? What? You got rid of your best player? I mean, they're probably happy that the Patriots lost Tom Brady too. That takes the heat off them too. Let me switch up to something else here uh, that I wanted to ask you about. And we talked about it very briefly on here the other day. But with the Olympics now being uh, postponed, I was going to say canceled, but postponed, and they're saying it'll be they'll be done before 2021. It's going to happen within a year. There's an interesting side note to all this, and that is this. A number of athletes for Canada, for other countries, have already gone through the qualifying regiment to in order to get their spot in the Olympics. But the whole reason for qualifying is to make sure that we bring the best athletes from each country to the games. And we all know that from one year to the next, some athlete who's at the top of the hill one year may not be the best athlete the next year. 
So what should they do about qualifying? If you have already qualified, should you be going to the Olympics regardless if someone comes along who's better than you a year from now? Or should all qualifying be tossed out and we start over? Or should they expand the Olympics by an extra 5,000 athletes and say, listen, we're going to have all new qualifying, but if you qualified, you're in too. What do you do? Wow, that's tough. Um, boy, that's a real tough situation, Scott. Oh, and I don't admire whoever has to make this decision. I'm going to say this, though. If you've qualified, you've qualified. You've already gone through the process. It's not your fault what happened, and to wipe away that accomplishment would, I think, almost be criminal. If you have reached the standards of what is supposed to be the Olympic standards and you've gone through the procedures that, uh, that have already happened, uh, and I know there are a tremendous amount of sports where qualifying has not been completed, so to me, then you wipe the slate clean. But if you have gone through the process, you've been the best in your sport, or, you know, if I think you... Yeah, if it means, you know what, say in a 100-meter race that you got to have 12 blocks of there instead of eight, I think that's okay. I think you've, you've, you've done your deed, and really what, what happened out there in terms of the cancellation, I don't think you should be penalized for. Let me make it more complicated. Uh, it's one thing to qualify because, for example, Hamilton's Eleanor Harvey, a fencer, qualified very recently. She's qualified. Mm-hmm. She should be going. I, I, I would agree with you that she has earned that. There she goes. What if you play on a team sport, though? And a year from now, because there's nothing that says that the team has qualified, but they don't guarantee that the members of the team have qualified. What if the coach or the GM or the organizer says, you know what, we have someone now who's come along who is better suited for this team. Can you change the members of a team or should you have to say that team that qualified goes in as is? Well, I would think that, that that changes anyway. I mean, for example, if you're thinking about Canada basketball, the team that would go into, say, what was, I believe, at the end of the month or the end of the, somewhere in June. Um, end I of June, were, yeah, end of June. At the end of June, there was a qualifier in Victoria, British Columbia, I believe, that they were going to play just previous, just after the they played the uh, CBEL, um, the Canadian League Basketball All-Star team here in Hamilton, that they were then going out to BC for a qualifier. I would say to you that that team that is going to qualify, or at least that would be on the roster, uh, would not be the exact team that would be in uh, that would be in Tokyo. I think many adjustments would be made. There's availability, obviously, NBA issues, um, but I do believe that there's probably an open uh, an open roster of maybe 20, 30 you know people that are allowed to go. But I think that team would be tremendously different. It's, like, well, it, when, when playing in the, in the Olympics. It's such an interesting and tricky thing because I'll tell you why. Uh, we have in this country become accustomed since probably 2010 to winning. We like to win all of a sudden. We are not seemingly quite so happy just to show up and have an athlete finish 77th and do a personal best. And we go, way to go, Bobby. We, we want to see people on the podium. And if you go back to, uh, oh, what was the last Olympics? 2016 in Rio. If you had had the Olympics one year before, there is a very good chance Penny Alexiak is not even on the team. She burst onto the scene that last year and then becomes a star. There could be another Penny Alexiak who is ready to dominate, but because the team or a team or a sport has already qualified, we say, sorry, you can't go. Do Canadians now want to be fair or do we want to win? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. I know normally, I know normally that we want to be fair, 
But I think there's an Olympic fever going on with our summer and winter teams, and that we we want to win now. So we'll do whatever it takes. We've tasted it to win. We've exactly. I mean, no longer are we um, celebrating, and I know we should in some ways, but no longer are we just celebrating personal best. We want medals, and I think that uh, that sorry, what was the uh, the podium thing? Own the po- own the podium. Own the, own the own the podium. Change the attitudes of this country and the athletes in itself too. Maybe put some pressure on them as well too. But they also did receive extra funds for you know for for preparations, and I think the athletes have over the years. Uh, I guess in that two Olympics that we've had this, the, the, you know, this program going, maybe even three. Three now, yeah. I, I think I think they I think they've delivered. Well, let me know. ask you a question. Remember, you're old enough. I'm old enough. Many people listening would be old enough to remember the days when at midnight or one a.m. TV would sign off as opposed to playing all night long. And if you remember, I think it was CBC would always play O Canada and would show a bunch of clips of very Canadian things. And one of the things that was always in that highlight package was Greg Joy winning the silver medal in the Montreal Olympics. Yes, yes. In 2020, would a guy winning a silver medal be something that would get into the highlight package for all of Canada to celebrate every single day? I'm telling you, there's not a chance in the world. Nice guy, great accomplishment. We have tasted gold, a silver medal. It's beautiful, but there is no way that's the thing that becomes our main highlight ever. Not, no way, not at all. You're totally correct in saying that. I mean, things have changed. Um, that's not that's not the standard any longer. And uh, we're looking at gold medals, and uh, that's that's you know I you know we want to finish first. And I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I I remember you talk about those days, well you know back in the 70s and you know early 80s when that's what we kind of we, we kind of settled for, if I want to say, and we really celebrated in a lot of sense. But uh, like you said, I think we're addicted to winning right now. And, and I think that's okay because I, I remember trying to wonder back in those days that you looked at the United States and that wasn't their standard. And, yeah, maybe they came off as arrogant and, you know, cocky and talked a lot about themselves, but they were into winning. They and had that. I remember was, that billboard they had once upon a time that says you don't – you you don't win silver, you lose gold. And I remember that was really cold and really harsh, but that was the attitude. It was. It's fierce. Uh, but it's it, not only the United States. Maybe it's not posted, but I think there that's the attitude of many other nations around the world that are used to finishing first, second, or third uh, in the medal standings over the years in, in all competitions. And I'm not just saying Olympics, but in world championships as well. Uh, Here is your update, by the way. Uh, Greg Joy, who is still alive, he is still with us, he is now 63 years old, is an adjudicator for the Landlord and Tenant Board in Ottawa. Wow, he did okay. I guess so. I guess that's a good deal. I don't know. I've never, I've never had to go in front of the landlord and tenant board, but uh, that would be that. You know, that would be kind of cool. You show up to have a fight with your tenant or with your landlord, and the guy's sitting there. You go, wait a second, aren't you Greg Joy? And then you forget all about what you're fighting about, and you all shake hands and talk about the Montreal Olympics and being on TV every night. I think that might work. That Sorry, would, talk a little bit about a little six meter jump. Wouldn't wouldn't that be the way to solve all of our problems? All of our judicial system should be filled with nothing but Olympic celebrities who we all have fond memories of. So you go and immediately when you see them, you don't think of why you're there to hate the person you're fighting against. You just go, I remember watching you win that gold medal. And then everyone's happy. We leave with the hug and we settle. It could work. We're on to something. It's a typical friendly Canadian way to get it done.
get the job done. There you go. It is a typical Canadian way to get the job done. Just don't walk in there with coronavirus is all we have to say. Uh, Bubba O'Neill, always appreciate you coming on. Be safe. Stay away from the virus. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, uh, Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, bud. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.